Very good morning, Amokyo family. Now today's scripture passage is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and just one verse, verse 13. Let me read it to us. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. Holy Spirit, we ask and invite you to take these precious words and help us to live them out so that we will not just be hearers of the word, but doers indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let me begin by asking a Bible trivia question. What was the first spot to be played in the Bible? What was the first spot to be played in the Bible? The answer, tennis. Why? Because Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Genesis chapter 41, verse 46. Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Do you get it? Okay, okay, I know it's a very lame joke, but really it was to get your attention about serving. I know we hear many messages from pastors challenging us to serve, but today I want to show us how serving is an integral part to family and life month. What does serving have to do with family and life month, you might wonder? Well, a lot, actually. Family is the first and primary place of service. Even before we are called to serve in church, God has put us in families to serve one another. Second, a lifetime and a lifestyle of humble service is a life that is most gloriously and most meaningfully lived. But before I I unpack those statements, let me give the brief context for today's scripture passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here in this chapter, Paul was giving Timothy a list of criteria to select overseers and deacons in church. In the original Greek, the word NIV translates for overseers is actually episkopos, from where we get the English word episcopal. It literally means bishop. And this is one reason why scholars believe that this letter is written sometime after Paul's death, when the church had evolved into an institution with proper organizational structure, with the bishop serving as an overseer and assisted by many deacons. Likewise, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which literally means servants. In our Methodist structure here in Singapore, which, uh, by the way, is autonomous, completely unlinked to American and British uh, Methodism, in our Singapore Methodist system, we have one bishop, and the ordained pastors are called elders and deacons. In other denominations, like the Brethren churches or the Presbyterian churches, elders and deacons are made out of lay people, while full-time pastors are just called pastors. Without a doubt, Today's passage is situated within the context of a church structure where there are certain people called to hold certain offices or roles. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 really is a call to exalt deacons to live a life of service well. However, if we were to simply stop here and confine this passage strictly to its historical context, then really there can be nothing to be learned from God's Word today. However, like all scripture, While it's time-bound to a certain historical context, the truths of God's Word are timeless. And the truth for today's Word is straightforward. 
when we serve well, we will gain two wonderful things. A great reputation to stand before God, before men. And number two, a great confidence to stand before God. Let me repeat the two wonderful things we will gain when we serve well. Number one, a great reputation to stand before men. And number two, a great confidence to stand before God. First, a great reputation to stand before men. Recall Joseph who began serving in Pharaoh's court. It was his humble service which eventually led to his greatness. Now who doesn't want a great reputation? Or to flip question, the question around, who wants a bad reputation? I believe no one deliberately sets out you know, to gain a terrible reputation. We all desire to have a good reputation even if we fail to gain one eventually. That desire is innate. Even crooks and criminals, they want to get the great reputation of being ultra-notorious. And Paul recognizes that innate desire too. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he even commends the person who aspires to the noble task of being a bishop. Paul did not rebuke anyone for having this godly ambition. Therefore, to desire a great reputation is not inherently evil. In my theology, we are all created for greatness because we are all created in the image of this great God. God is a great and glorious being and being created in His image, we too desire to be great. We were born with the capacity and the potential for greatness. The problem, however, lies in two areas. Number one, our misplaced definitions of greatness. And number two, our misguided ways of achieving this greatness. The world ranks greatness in terms of power, authority. He or she who dominates and rules over others is great, while the one who is at the bottom of the food chain is the least, the weakest. The world promotes this belief that one must be unscrupulous, cold, mean, in order to reach the top. The Bible, however, and this is chiefly exemplified by our Lord Jesus, the Bible paints a completely different picture of what greatness is and how this greatness is to be achieved. Luke chapter 22 records this fascinating account. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded the greatest. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Notice here that Jesus also did not correct the disciples' desire to be great or to be the greatest even. He never scolded them for their aspiration because he knows that being great, this desire is imputed through God's image. However, Jesus does correct them on their understanding of what greatness is and how to become great. Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. In other words, it is not the position 
but the posture that determines one's greatness. Let me say that again. It is not the position, but the posture that determines one's greatness. We have just had our general election, and while this subject is still fresh in all our minds, is it not true that the MPs and ministers we respect the most are those who are willing to get on the ground, to get their hands dirty, those who are willing to serve? In this passage in Luke, Jesus asked a rhetorical question. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Surely it is the one who reclines at the table. And indeed, Jesus was referring to himself as one who is reclining at the table, being greater than the servant. Yet, Jesus chose to flip the table and washed his disciples' feet instead. In so doing, Jesus shows us that the way to greatness is not by barking commands and orders down at others, but it is by bending our knees and to serve others with humility. The posture of humility and service is what makes us great. I will never forget a scene in which uh, I understood what it means to truly live a life of service how we as Christians and Christian leaders ought to serve. This scene took place many years ago, and I can't uh, remember the exact event. I was still in Crystal Light Methodist Chapel, uh, my former church. can't remember if I was just a youth leader or already a junior pastor. Those of you who work more closely with me know that I have a very bad memory. Anyway, basically, we had a school, uh, we had a church event in the school canteen. Crystal Light Methodist Chapel is located within Geelong Methodist uh, School Primary. And so after the event, almost everyone had left and I was about to leave too. Just then, at that final moment, I noticed my pastor in church walk in, holding a mop in her hands. And she started to clean up the canteen all by herself. I honestly cannot remember what I did that day. Did I leave or did I stay back to help her? But I will never forget that one scene. The pastor in charge cleaning the canteen after everyone has left. And you know what is the best part? She never told anyone about it, even after the event. There was no debrief after the, uh, the event for the staff to stay back and to help clean up as well. There was no mention of what she did over the pulpit or even in the small talks that we had. Nothing. Just pure, humble service, despite being in a position of greater authority. And so today I want to honour her before uh, men. Her name is Reverend Nyami He, the pastor who shepherded me for the most part of my Christian life. And she probably won't even hear about this sermon today. But here's the thing we've got to recognise. A great reputation will spread even if you do nothing. A great reputation will naturally spread. And this is what exactly Paul was telling Timothy. Those who serve well will gain a good standing, an excellent standing before men. You see, this is an unchanging eternal truth. All who serve well will naturally gain a great reputation over time. Why? Because God is faithful and just. And God our Father is a rewarder. He will see to it that His children, those who serve well, will receive the rewards that are due to them on earth and also in the life 
to come. So that's the first thing. Those who serve well gain a good reputation before men. And then Paul goes on to write, those who serve well also gain a great confidence of their faith in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here for confidence really means boldness. Those who serve well are bold in their faith. Surely that goes without saying. If you have been faithfully serving the Lord, surely you'll be bold to stand before the Lord, expecting Jesus to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And so in a reverse engineering sort of way, I want to challenge all of us to start serving. If you haven't already done so, start serving God in one way or another. Today, we also highlight Serve God, Serve One Another Sunday. It's the time that we highlight those who serve in worship, music, in the services, ministries. But really, service is not just confined to what happens officially. Service can happen at the cell group level, where you choose to host uh, the Zoom account, for example, even though you are not the CGL. Service can also happen, for example, when you choose to buy food and groceries for a brother or sister in Christ who is in need. The ways to serve are endless. Yes, unfortunately, we only track those who serve in an official capacity when we pray for them and dedicate them. But if you serve, even in your own quiet way, you will surely gain an excellent reputation, as God's Word says, and more importantly, you'll be confident and bold of your faith in Christ Jesus. Over the years, I have been a pastor. I've met uh, many who had little assurance of their faith in Christ Jesus. To some extent, I don't uh, really blame them. After all, faith cannot be measured, right? Plus, God is unseen. So how does one justify one's faith in Christ Jesus? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, I believe, gives us a secret. When we start serving and serve well, we become more and more assured of our faith and our courage in Christ Jesus. When we start serving and continue to serve well, we become more and more assured of our faith and courage in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why? The book of James tells us, faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, verse 17. Faith without works is dead. Our works will reveal our faith. Faith is invisible, right? But works are visible. If we have lived a life of service, just as Jesus did, it shows that we truly believe what Jesus has taught, that the greatest is the one who serves. We have demonstrated our faith through our action. And therefore, if you want confidence of your faith in Christ Jesus, serve. Let me now return to the two statements I made at the start of this sermon. First, family is the first and primary place of service. Even before we are called to serve in church, God has put us in families to serve one another. No matter what our titles may be on the outside, when we step home, the truth is these titles count for nothing. Those with young kids are the best evidence of this reality. Try telling your two-year-old who's having a tantrum that you are the CEO of an MNC and see if that helps you in calming their kid down. Or maybe you can try telling your teenager you are a high flyer and therefore you have no time for them and see if that brings them closer to you. I think we all know this to be true. Our work titles count 
for nothing or count for little at home. But sadly, many people who are heroes, great at work, are zeros at home. I pray that this will not be true for us at Amokyo Church. I pray we will make our homes our top priority. There is really no point being a hero at work and being a zero at home. You know, by default, our children will naturally see us as heroes, parents as their first heroes. This is the natural design. It's only when their trust is eroded over time because we have lost our privileged position by lording it over them instead of learning to walk alongside with them. But the good news is this, it's never too late. It's never too late because God's Word always has that grace and power to transform our lives and our families if we choose to obey them. So how do we serve our own families? For example, maybe there's someone very stressed in the family. Let's step up and help them more. Is there a task to be done at home? Don't wait for others to do them. There are many things we can do on our own initiative, like cleaning the toilets, washing the dishes, buying the groceries, so and so forth. The key really is to put on a servant's mindset and to look out for the interests of your family members, just as Philippians chapter 2 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And this passage doesn't just apply to life in church, it is true for all spheres in life. Let each one look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's available for us in Christ Jesus to put on this mindset. Listen to the word of God here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Notice here, Jesus demonstrated true humility and obedience in the primary context of a family. Jesus was humble and obedient to who? God, his Father. It's in the context of a family that Jesus demonstrated service. I truly believe that God has allowed COVID-19 to turn our attention to our home front. So let's not waste this crisis. Let's get our homes in order first by serving our family members more. A businessman was uh, once asked, uh, once asked his uh, Bible study group, how can you tell if you have a servant attitude? How can you tell that you have a servant attitude? The reply came back, by the way you react when you're treated as one. By the way you react when you're treated as one. I don't know about you, but my children treat me like a servant all the time. <laughs> pa, can you do this? Pa, can you do that? You know, and they don't always say thank you. Most of the time, they don't say thank you. I'm telling all of us that home really is the best training ground for a servant's heart. Home is the place where we lay down our pride because really we don't carry it with us, our titles with us at home. And we learn to practice humility and servanthood. If you return to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will see that uh, the bishop as well as the deacons 
both had to manage their households well. Now, how do you think they managed their households well? Do you think they lauded it over their families? Or is it more likely that they put on the mind of Christ, they serve at home first with humble, loving, yet firm authority? Again, before our church really can be a home with a heart, our individual homes must be a place with heart. And may God help all of us in this godly endeavour. Now I wish to conclude this sermon by reminding us that a lifetime and a lifestyle of humble service really is a life that is most gloriously and most meaningfully lived. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, Life's most persistent and urgent question is, What are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? That is why Jesus, who is the wisest person ever, had earlier taught in John chapter 12, verses 24 to 25, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. You see, the paradox is this. When you die to yourself by living for others, that is when you truly live. When you die to yourself and you learn to live for others by serving them, that's when you truly live. But when you live for yourself and you ignore the cries of others, you would have lived a wasted life. May I remind all of us once again that it is a life given to service that is a life most meaningfully lived. The story was told of a group of students from Harvard who, when they came back to the school to celebrate their 25th anniversary of their graduation, the Alumni Association put together a booklet with photographs of the students and their comments about where their lives had taken them over the previous 25 years. In one of those books, Next to the picture of a very handsome young man were written these simple words. Making $10 million before I was 40 years old didn't turn out to be as wonderful as I thought it was going to be. Making $10 million before I was 40 didn't turn out to be as wonderful as I thought it was going to be. You can't help wondering what he was trying to say in that one statement. So friends, make no mistake here. A life that is fully alive, a life that is gloriously lived, is one that is given to service, especially God's service. After all, God gave up His life for you. Let me close with this final story. Once upon a time, there was a hammer. And this hammer was left unused in the toolbox for a long time. And let me say here, I have no political inclinations, right? Just a story. And so it felt really useless. Life was meaningless. One day, a boy came along, opened up the toolbox, found the hammer and used it to smash tree trunks and branches. The hammer knew it was wrong, but it felt good <clears throat> to be used anyway. Sometime later, a thief came around and used that same hammer to smash the glass windows to gain access into homes. Again, the hammer knew it was wrong, but it felt, you know, good uh, to be used rather than to be left unused. Finally, after a long while, the owner of the toolbox 
the carpenter, returned from his trip, took the hammer out and used it to hammer some nails into the table he was making. When the hammer struck the nail on his head, suddenly awakened and discovered the true purpose he had been made for. The hammer's purpose was to serve the greater good all along. You know, we are very much like the hammer. God has designed us to serve others for good. But many of us, before we found ourselves in the hands of the Master, we may have been misled to use our lives for other purposes, to live for ourselves. But when we discover God's true intention for us, that we were meant to serve, that's when we find ourselves truly alive. Unfortunately for many of us, in our impatience to discover God's very specific purpose for our lives, we would rather use our lives for our own selfish desires rather than trusting God to wait for Him, to let Him use us as He desires. My prayer for all of us today is that we will once again offer ourselves afresh to God, God our loving Father, and that we will use our lives to serve others for good. Come, let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us for greatness. But Lord, forgive us for how we have tried to achieve greatness or how we have misguided notions of what greatness means. Lord, we pray once again, you will teach us to serve beginning from our homes and from there extending to other communities and to the faith community. We thank you for your word. Once again, we pray, you help us not to be just hearers of your word, but doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.